much just that pause in that, that moment of uh, this moment of worship and prayer. There's a lot goes on in our lives from day to day. There's a lot of noise around us, a lot of pressure and stress at times demands. It's, it's not often for some to get a moment to just be still. To be still and know God. So I just want to give a little bit of space, just a few moments to be still. To breathe. So I invite God to come and settle your heart and your mind, even your body. For your soul to find rest once more. Come, Holy Spirit. And all the chaos of our life. What our soul longs for is your rest. God says, be still and know that I am God, your God. Come, Holy Spirit, settle our hearts. Breathe your strength to our life, life breath. And may the peace of God that passes understanding come and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, just, just nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, occasionally it's just helpful in a day when things are chaotic and stressful to just take a few moments to find a quiet place and just offer a breath prayer like that to welcome God, to, to bring stillness and rest to our soul. And so while it's good to do it when we're together, I want to encourage you, make that a practice of your life. Uh, choose it when it's chaotic. And even if it's just for a few moments, to allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. Well, this morning I'm going to need some help, and I think what I'd like is at least a couple of uh, volunteers who are either primary school or early high school, and what I want you to do is I want to, you to bring to the stage somebody in your family that you really trust. Okay, so, I, I, so I'm, I'm looking for some volunteers. I, I can just, I, even if I just get one, it will be sufficient, but if we can get a couple... Okay, now are you coming with each other? Okay, you're trusting him. Okay, I'll be come. Anybody else? This could be interesting. Any, anybody else that we, we want? Okay, oh, oh, we've got somebody who trusts lots of people. 
really? Okay, paid up you come. This is as much a surprise to me as it is to you, believe me. Okay. Okay, if you come to this side. You were fifth choice. That was much further up the pecking order than I would have put you. Anyway, come to this side. Okay, let's get everybody's name here. Eli. Was that on? Did you hear that? Eli. Eli. And who have you brought with you, Eli? My brother, Josh. Your brother, Josh. Now, in all the years that I have been doing this, I have never yet had a brother and brother event uh, on the stage. So this, this, is, this is quite something, Josh. How are you feeling? Okay, all right. Uh, and, and over here we have? Malcolm. Okay, Malcolm, and who's this you've brought with you? My Uncle Ped. Your Uncle Ped. Okay, fifth choice. Uh, are you feeling good about this? Yeah. Uh, decent. Okay, so uh, here's, here's what's going to happen. This is called the trust game. Uh, what has to happen is the person who, uh, so that, that's you, Malcolm, Eli, the, the person who chose the person they trust are going to stand and fall back into the arms of the person that you trust. And we're going to do this um, in, in stages. So first of all, they're going to be really close behind you. Then I'm going to ask them to take a step back, and then a further step back. And uh, you've got to try and fall without you stepping back and you know, stopping yourself. Because you trust them, right? Because you brought them up. <laughs> Let's just pray for Malcolm, just for a little moment here. So. Right, Ped, have you come? Okay, so uh, that's it, stand there. So what I want to do is, is about, about that, this much away from them. Okay, so about, that's a bit of foot, isn't it? Okay, and then uh, Malcolm Eli, I want you just nice and easy. Just, just, I should really have demonstrated this uh, for you. And just let yourself go, arms out, let yourself go, and, they, and they'll catch you. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. Okay, and then move them back up. Okay. Did that feel nice and secure? Okay, so just take a, a little step back, another, you know, that one, a little closer, <laughs> Okay, are we ready? Three, two, one, go. Okay, that's it. and then another step back. How are you feeling, you two? Trusting? Yes, trusting. Okay, three, two, one, go. <laughs> Look like one of those American evangelists, don't I? <laughs> People fall down. Yeah. Okay, another step back. Um, are you two okay? Is there a nervousness? Are you, your mum's going to murder you if you drop them. Okay, are we ready? <laughs> to be fair, this is getting anxious over here on this side. So. Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, one last one. Okay, and just arms out, feet together. Three, two, one, go. Well done. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. You can take your seats. Now, we're on trust this morning. Who do we trust? Uh, I once heard it uh, put in, in this way. There, there was a missionary who was in a, a country where they were trying to um, in, translate the Bible into the local language. And when they got to the word trust, he was trying to find a, a word for the local people of what it means uh, to, to trust. How could he find a word that kind of expressed this word trust? And the word that they eventually found was this. He, he sat himself down in a, in a seat and he lifted both arms, both feet and legs off 
the ground and stretched out his arm and put his full weight on the chair. And the word that the local people had for that was to put your full weight upon. And that's the word they used for trust, to put the full weight of your life in the hands of another or in the hands of God. Well done to uh, Eli and Malcolm for being trusting of their family members. Who do we trust? Who do you trust? Let's read from our psalm that we're looking at, Songs for Summer. And we're onto the song in Psalm 146. So let's read what Psalm 146 has to say. We'll just read the first uh, six verses or so. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those instead whose help or trust is in the God of Jacob, whose hope or trust is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Who do we trust? Now, there's a lot of chaos in our world. And people are asking, who can I trust? Who do we trust in a world of political mistrust, suspicion, inconsistency, not even just locally or nationally, but internationally and globally? There's political mistrust. I don't know about you, but there's, there's times where I feel as if I'm politically lost. And I don't mean by that that I'm not interested in political issues. I am and the church should be. But where to find a home? In the confusion and the suspicion and the mistrust that seems to be present. The inconsistency. Who do we trust when we carry concerns about our healthcare system, our social care, where there's questions in our education, when we have issues with affordable housing, the cost of living, a, a mental health reality that we seem unable to respond to. And I just want to pause and, and, and say that there's people, even in this room, who are working on these front lines who are, are doing their best, but they also know that things are stretched. And we want to bless you and pray for you if you're in any of these areas on these frontline places where you feel exhausted, perhaps. Maybe you feel as if you're not supported in the ways that you might, or it's just hard work. Lord, would you bless and strengthen your people in all of these places? If you're on some of these NHS or care areas, or working in mental health, or in education, just about to go back. We bless you. We pray God's strength over you. But, but we know that you know that things are difficult there as well. Who do we trust? Who do we trust where there are geopolitical tensions? Where there's war and rumors of war? Where there's unrest in nations? Where there's persecution and uprisings? 
who's to be trusted in the places of power when there is so much tension? Who do we trust when there are record profits for energy giants while energy costs remain high and almost always highest for the poor? Who do we trust when the media and social media and celebrity-led culture shifts take place over years that are leading to a secularization, a sexualization, an individualization, a fragmentation of society, even a mistrust of one another, so that when we disagree with another, it somehow, in some places, suggests that we hate and there's a mistrust of one another, such as the fragmentation of society. When actually I've discovered that the power of love is evidenced exactly where there is disagreement with people. It's the power of love that makes the difference across those disagreements. Who do we trust amidst that social media and media-led culture shift? Who do we trust in the midst of environmental concerns, global warming, climate injustice, and the continuing rich-poor divides? And before we start pointing the finger at everyone else, the institutional church has its own journey to walk in terms of trust and integrity. The church has not always resisted the human tendency towards power and control, accumulation, and comfort, position, and status. It's the human condition that causes the struggle for who do we trust. In Psalm 11, another Psalm verse 3, it says this, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Who do we trust? And what this psalm captures is both that sense of chaos in the world, but also the fact that our trust is not to be in humanity or human systems, but in God. Trust in God, not humanity, not in men, not in princes, not in those who are mortal. For humanity will get it wrong but we trust in God. And there's this kind of play off against one another. Princes, mere mortals, they cannot save. They will return to the ground. Their plans will come to nothing. That's the reality of humanity. For all our best efforts, the reality is that we cannot save. We will return to the ground and our plans often come to nothing. Now that feels like a hopeless situation. But into this, the psalmist says, but if we keep our trust in God, when we keep our trust in God, when God who is to be trusted is trusted, then in fact humanity will begin to live in the ways of God. And that's an altogether different picture. And so when all around us feels as if it's falling or the foundations are being destroyed, the psalmist is saying all the more, trust in God. What do the righteous do? We trust in God. 
The God of Jacob is to be trusted. Help, trust, and power can be misdirected. Who do you trust? What do you trust? Trust can be misdirected. Blame can be misdirected. As if somehow it's God's fault that all of this is happening. But we place our trust in the God whose ways are good. Who are you trusting? And the psalmist talks about he names his God. This is the God of history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he roots his faith and his trust in God, in the God of history, the real God, the God of Jacob, the maker of heaven and earth, he says. While humanity is like a breath, we trust in the God who gives breath, who creates and sustains and remains faithful. The God, not just of history, but the creator of this human race. He's to be trusted. That this is the God of Jacob. And, and when he uses that phrase, he's, he's racking up all the ways where the people of God have seen through their history the faithfulness of God, that God remains. He remains steady. He remains faithful. He remains merciful, even though there's times where he has to judge. He remains faithful. The God of Jacob reminds them of the history of God's faithfulness. He's the one who brings help. He's the one to be trusted. His mercy and power. I, I want to say the naming of our God is important. This is the God who reveals himself to us as personal and relational. He knows us. This God that we celebrate the God of Scripture. And there's an awful lot of talk in the spiritual world of a God or a God of your own understanding, but we name our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, His name is Jesus. We name our God. We don't wrap Him in generalities. This is our God who knows us and knows us by name. And there's all kinds of names in Scripture to reveal who God is. Not just the God of Jacob, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This rooted in history God. But he's the God who is El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Roy, God who sees me. Jehovah Rapha, God who heals. Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. All of them, all of the names coming out of people's personal experience of this faithful God in whom we trust. The maker of heaven and earth. Who's the one who gives life rather than in humanity? Who comes but for a breath and returns to the ground? Who do you trust? The God who reveals himself to us. The personal God. And so these first six verses of Psalm 146 sound like a personal testimony of the writer urging, urging in the place of worship. The Psalms would have been used in a place of worship who are you trusting? Trust in God. Don't you remember? This is the God of Jacob, the faithful God. Who are you trusting? Place your trust in God. And it comes out of this great personal testimony of the writer. But then he looks beyond his own individual experience of God. And he looks at a world with all its problems and prejudice and injustice. 
And he says, not only is this my experience of God, but this is the God who is willing to work to make right all the things that are wrong around us, as well as the God who blesses what is right and those who seek to do what is right. He looks beyond his own individual testimony and perspective and says, this is the God who is working to make right all that is wrong. And so let's go on in the psalm. Verse seven. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. And, and five times throughout those, that second half of the psalm, the writer is very clear. It's the Lord. 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 It's your God, Zion, who makes that which is wrong right. God is at work inviting his people to also make right with him what is wrong in the world. But it is God who will ultimately do it. It is God who is righteous. God's the source of justice and fairness. God, I love when they scream when they're getting taken out of the, the sermon, you know. They want to stay in and hear every word. Hallelujah. God is the source of justice and fairness and equity. And God is the God of the equity of provision, of food and freedom. God is the God who is the source of liberation. You know, most captives, most prisoners are not behind jail doors, but they're imprisoned in their own life by sin and circumstance and sorrow and sadness and shame and addictions and abuse and abandonment, often behind closed doors at times, living in silence and in secrecy in what feels like a prison. That, that's the reality for some people in our world. And God is the source of their liberation. This God of Jacob who is faithful. He's the source of wholeness and healing. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. It is God who is the source of this wholeness and healing. He gives sight to the blind. Well, what does that mean? It, it doesn't just mean physical blindness removed, although we believe in that also. But that God is a God of revelation. There's all kinds of ways in which we could be blinded. Blinded to truth. Blinded to reality. Blinded to ourselves. Blinded to God. But God gives sight to the blind. He reveals new things. He reveals himself. New perspectives, new truths, new identity of who we are when we know the love of God in Christ Jesus. He reveals new purpose, new calling, new direction towards wholeness. When we, we read about God giving sight to the blind, it's not just physically, but it's spiritually. Eyes to see in different ways what God can do and does do in our lives. This is our God. 
who gives sight to the blind. He's the defender, the lifter of our lives and our heads. He's the God who welcomes and embraces, who watches over and sustains us, who upholds the righteous and righteousness while also upholding his judgment on the unrighteous and on unrighteousness because he will make all things right in the end. The God who makes right that which is wrong. Now we shouldn't be surprised at that. This God of justice and righteousness. Isn't this what Jesus said he'd come to do? In Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he reads it as his mission mandate, his reason for coming. So, so let's read Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, writes Isaiah, because the Lord, there it is again, it's the Lord, has anointed me to preach or proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's what Jesus said he came to do. This is our God, the one who brings good news to the poor, binds up broken hearts, brings freedom to those who feel captive, release from darkness for those who are prisoners. It reflects that Psalm 146 song that celebrates who God is and what he is doing. This is what God does. This is what he does in our lives. This is what he longs to do for the lives of all. And what about that phrase, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down from Psalm 146. And, and one way we, we understand or we could understand this is well, this is how we approach God in humility. We bow down. We acknowledge our need. And that's true. I, I remember having a really uh, vivid experience uh, of something physical that God taught me. We were in a holiday in Corfu. This was BC, which is before children. And uh, we, we were able to do all kinds of things then. And we went on uh, this boat trip uh, to a bay that had a cave in it. The problem was to get in through the cave, you had to go under the water with your face in uh, the sand uh, before you could come then back up again on the other side of the cave in, into this incredible cavernous beauty of color. It was incredible that in order to see the glory, you had to go on your knees with your face in the sand before you could rise up again. There's something about that picture that's true about our encounter with the glory of God is we've got to humble ourselves and, and get down, honor him, acknowledge him, seek him, long for him on our knees, and then he lifts us up. But there's, there's more to it than that, more to the way in which he, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. It goes on in Isaiah 61, to proclaim, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the ministry 
of Christ in lifting up those who feel as if they're bowed down. They can't lift up their head. They can't lift up themselves. Perhaps that feels like you, that God comforts those who mourn, where we feel as if we're bowed down with the weight of mourning, to provide for those who grieve, carrying the weight of loss, whatever that loss might be in our lives but then to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Many times have we heard testimonies and stories of people's lives where where they talk about the fact they got to a place where they felt as if life was in ashes, but God came along and in Christ Jesus, he gathered up that life in ashes and instead of the ashes, he proclaimed and began to lead them into a new beauty of life. That picture is for someone this morning who feels like their life is in ashes, but God is the God who comes along and out of those ashes, he bestows a crown of beauty and begins to lift you out of that bowed down place. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. It's possible that in our mourning we still encounter the joy of the Lord. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Despair comes around us like a heavy cloak as if to weigh us down. But in Christ, he takes off that cloak of despair. Instead, he wraps around a garment of praise, which is much lighter to bear. And when Jesus announced what his mission mandate was, and when the psalmist wrote about this God who lifts up those who are bowed down, it's this Isaiah 61 picture that comes to mind. Beauty for ashes, gladness for mourning, praise for despair. It goes on to talk about watching over the alien, the foreigner, the refugee, that they have a part to play in God's redemption story. The one who sustains the fatherless and the widow. The psalmist celebrates that even those who feel perhaps as if they have been abandoned by family or who have lost will also be gathered in to God and to his family. The God who lifts up those who are bowed down. And this passage talks about what Jesus would do and does do and continues to do, but also what his people are also to be involved in. Isaiah assumes that this is God's calling to his people, and Jesus invites his followers to follow him in this mission. But first of all, we comfort ourselves so that we may be lifted up when we feel bowed down. As followers of Jesus, is your life good news for the poor, the brokenhearted, the persecuted, the oppressed, the forgotten, the abandoned, the bereaved, the refugee, the foreigner? And for you, have you found that place like the psalmist did, that well, whether personally or all around of there is chaos, that place of trust, in Christ, in this God, in the Jesus 
who lifts us up. We're about to celebrate communion this morning and I want to read a passage of scripture to give a New Testament. And I read this passage right at the very beginning of the service and I want to go back to it from Colossians chapter one as we begin to wrap things up here. Because when we read these words in Colossians, the God that we're talking about is the God that is revealed to us in Christ, in Jesus, who took this passage from Isaiah 61 and said, this is what I am all about. And this same Jesus, in whom and through him all things were created, that's what we're about to read. This same Jesus then not only lives and teaches and heals, but faces death, even death on a cross. And in that death on a cross, he gathers all our sin and shame and sorrow and sadness and sickness. And at the cross, that recognition of what Christ is doing in the cross, we begin to receive the ministry of Christ to our lives that lifts us up, that fulfills the psalm we read of the faithfulness of God. We don't talk in generalities about God. We talk very specifically about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about God as the God who expressed his love by coming to earth, not to just to show it in his living, but in his dying. When we unveil the bread and the cup this morning, we will see broken bread and we will see juice that is red to symbolize the blood of Christ. We declare a God who was willing to suffer for us, such was his love. But in his suffering, we would find freedom. In his death, we'd find life. In his brokenness, we'd find healing. In his punishment, we would find forgiveness. All of that in the cross. And so when we read that Psalm 146, God was like that because that's what his nature is. But in the cross of Christ is where we find him through Christ. And all that goodness of God is fulfilled as Christ gives up his life for us. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. We are not just talking about some man who took death on a cross. We are talking about the one through whom the whole created order was made. This God who loves us and comes to take on even death on a cross to express his love for us. This is our God. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Who do we trust? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, all the broken, chaotic things of our world and all the broken, chaotic things of your world, all things to be reconciled back to the good God, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God wants you to find peace at the cross of Christ, whatever the story of your life has been. 
For in the cross, God begins to make all things new. Yes, for everything around us, but also for you. The new start begins at the cross of Christ. Somebody asked me the other day when I am in prayer ministry and when I'm talking about the cross, what is it that most people ask for or end up doing? And as I thought about it, I began to realize that as I take people through prayer ministry and as we focus on the cross, most times what happens is people realize that there's something that they have to leave at the cross and there's something they have to receive from the cross. If, as we believe and declare that everything, our sin, our shame, our sorrow, our sickness, our lostness has been nailed to the cross of Christ, then we leave what we carry of chaos and darkness at the foot of the cross. Our sin, our shame, our sorrow, our sadness, our sickness. So that we might receive from the cross the mercy of God, his love, his forgiveness, his healing, his strength, his deliverance, his power, his light. We have to leave so that we can receive. And when I'm in prayer with people, that so often is what they experience at the cross. I must leave some things at the foot of the cross so that I can receive from the cross of Christ. Let me ask you, what do you need to leave? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him enough to leave with him the chaos of life that you face, the struggles, the challenges, the things you seem unable to sort for yourself, so that in the same moment you can then begin to receive from Christ what you need? Do you trust him? Do you trust this God who is not only the one who breaks into history but is the creator of this wonderful creation who is our creator who shows his mercy and love even in death on a cross? Who do you trust? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we move into a time of communion. And as we take communion this morning, I want you to ask yourselves those questions. Who are you trusting just now for the reality of your life, whatever that's like? Who are you trusting? We trust in ourselves, trust in others. I want to ask, are we trusting God? The things that seem not to be moving in life, are we trusting God? And in the midst of that question, I want you to ask as we come to communion, are there things that I need to leave with Jesus as I come to the cross today? And so in a moment as we go in, and maybe the stewards can come and join us at the front, I just want you to close your eyes and put your hands out, if you're comfortable with this, with your palms facing downwards. And I want you just to just picture yourself before the cross of Christ. And with those hands face downwards, I just want me to ask the Holy Spirit 
to show you if there's anything that you need to lay down before Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. What do we need to give at the foot of the cross to this Jesus who loves us? The one who gives beauty for ashes, oil of gladness and joy to the mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, this divine exchange. Come, Holy Spirit, what must we leave and give to Jesus because we trust you? As you take communion this morning, I want you to use this time to leave whatever you need to leave at the foot of the cross and trust Jesus. And then as you do, to turn your hands upwards, facing upwards, in a posture ready to receive. Lord, what do we need? Give to us what we need. Beauty for ashes. Oil of gladness amidst mourning. A garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. And be ready to receive. Because this act of communion is both a remembrance of what Jesus has done, but it is also a receiving of Christ again. You'll receive bread and cup to take within you, to eat and drink. So what do you need to receive at the cross of Christ? Forgiveness, healing, strength, peace. What do you need to receive? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we take this bread and this cup, that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring fresh grace to us. All that we need, whatever is happening in our lives just now. For we trust in you, our God, and we seek you for all we need. Let this bread and cup become grace to us and strength to us as we trust you, Jesus, and all that you have done for us in the cross and resurrection. In Jesus' name.